Well, good morning, everyone. He is risen. Hallelujah. All right. If you take a minute and pray with me, please. Gracious and heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we're able to come into your house today to be able to hear your word, to be able to sing your praises. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless the time that we have together, a time of celebration not only for Pastor Bauer and, and for Benita, but, and Lord, please notice I didn't say Pastor Benita, but also, Lord, a time where we celebrate the wonderful gift that you have given us, the greatest gift that is known to mankind in your Son, Jesus Christ. Bless us now in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen. well, I've already got written down, good morning, so we covered that part. That's a good thing, right? And, you know, some people say that you can never go home again. Right? You hear about it in the Bible that they'll never uh, hear where the prophet comes from. But it is an absolute honor and a blessing to be here this morning, especially as uh, last night we got to, or yesterday afternoon, we got to celebrate Alan and Benita and the wonderful things that they have done for our Lord uh, on this continent and beyond, right, as we talked about. But, um, you know, we this weekend have had an opportunity to celebrate the ministry of a man who quickly became my mentor. I mentioned it yesterday, and he didn't even know it. I pray, Alan, that you like that one? A sauerkraut. I thought that one was good. Okay. I truly do pray that you all both have a wonderful retirement. Alan, I know, as I said yesterday, a lot of people will say, well done, good and faithful servant. We know you're still going to serve. You're still going to do some things around. But as I told you yesterday, the only thing I'm going to tell you is I love you. All right. Now, on to the business at hand. I've been looking post-Easter at the epistle lessons that have, have come in the readings from 1 John. And so um, I've come up with a theme called, What's Love Got to Do With It? Yes! <laughs> Go ahead and play Tina Turner in your mind, okay? We all honestly know that love has everything to do with what God does, and God willing, it should govern us as well. Is it a secondhand emotion to use that term? It really isn't. So we know from 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us, right? While we were still sinners, et cetera, et cetera. While we weren't even here yet and beyond. Well, this morning, I wanted to turn our attention to the epistle lesson for today. That comes from 1 John, one chapter back in chapter 3. Now, in the closing lines of chapter 2, it's important to understand that we're reminded that Jesus is going to return, all right? And so we're called to a life of righteousness that will allow, quote, boldness when he returns. In the first two verses of chapter three, it gives us a foundation for this confident hope that we have in what God has already done. See, the text begins 
where we must always begin with the love that God has given to each and every one of us. The substance of that love, or, or let's say the result of that love, is that we're called God's children. It doesn't have to be, you know, anybody's specific child, because when we come to that fount, we become God's. And it's not just wishing or pretending or, you know, ooh, it's none of that. We are what God declares us to be, right? It's an image of adoption. I mean, God loves us so much that despite our faults, who has faults? Raise your hand. Okay. Notice that Pastor Bauer did not raise his hand. Okay. I guess we'll give it to him today. Okay. But you and I are going to talk later. Right? Yeah. You know, despite our faults, he had a plan to bring us back. That plan, he told us all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, I think it was verse uh, 15, when he promised the Messiah. And guess what? Two weeks ago, we celebrated that plan. He is risen. He lovingly calls us his children. And that declaration, you are my child, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, made by Him, makes it so. See, we are God's children. Not by our choice, certainly not by our accomplishments, but by the Father's love. Now, you know what happens when one assumes, right? We don't need to get into that. But one might realistically assume that being God's child is the ultimate goal. After all, what could be better? Gotcha. Verse 2 points ahead to an even greater, still unrealized fulfillment of that promise. The fullness of what it means to be God's children will be revealed only at the time when Jesus himself returns. But it's not as though we don't have any inkling or idea as to what God has in mind. He has told us Jesus himself is our future. And God intends to transform us to be like him. Wow. Even though we are fully justified, to use Lutheran terms, when we are baptized or come to believe in Him, the process of sanctification, for all of you that have gone through confirmation, the process of sanctification continues. And that's to be more like Christ every day. So that on that last day, we will get to see God's full plan for us. You know, a lot of kids ask about heaven. I work with some kids, uh, little ones through fourth grade, and they're always like, well, what's, is my doggy going to be there? Is this, is that? And this kind of answers it, huh? Not so much about the dogs and the cats, which, you know, hey, uh, it's going to be better than anything we know here. And we 
are going to be perfect. Not for our sake, but for God's. It's a pretty amazing thought. It's hard to wrap your head around, even as an adult. But there is no other pattern or goal than Jesus. I mean, the good shepherd himself, right? The good news is not that Jesus helps us to be more, go ahead, fill in the blank. I think the one that I like to use here is, Jesus helps me be thinner. Well, you know, he's really not doing that. He's providing plenty of food, even some fajitas yesterday. That was pretty good stuff. But, you know, whatever virtue, whatever value you want to go ahead and stick in that line, that's not it. See, the good news is Jesus himself is the goal. Jesus is not only the shape of God's past love toward us, through his incarnation, through the cross, the resurrection. Jesus is also the shape of God's final gracious gift to conform our lives to God's perfect love in his Son. See, the way he originally created us to be in perfect fellowship with him and with one another. It's a pretty amazing thing to bring us back kind of full circle. That hope for the future shapes our life now. Right? Faithful discipleship means living along the path of God's promise and intent for us. Those who are God's children will be, quote, pure in verse 3, and in verse 7, righteous, just as he is. Now, I need to pick that apart for a second. The phrase, just as he is, can be taken to mean in the same way or because. Well, in this particular case, we're actually going to use them both. In the same way that Jesus is and because of Jesus. See, what we will be may not be known in fullness yet. But by God's grace, we see our future in Jesus. And this future already has a transformative effect in the present for those who are God's children. Now, I'll be honest, as you go through and read this, and oftentimes when you're reading God's Word, sometimes things get confusing. And the confusing part of this text here from 1 to 7 for me is actually the claim in verse 6, okay? That says, those who abide in him do not sin. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's difficult to understand how this is not a contradiction of the rest of biblical witness. And even what John has said previously in chapter 1, verse 8, all the way through 2-2, are we to imagine that John is willing to excuse occasional sins. That's ah, okay, we'll let that one slip by. Right? I don't think that's it. So, when I was going through this, that verse bugged me. And so I had to do some digging. And I found that to sin in this particular context is the same as to commit sin. Okay, and it gives a number of different Bible verses. And to commit sin is to practice sin. 
Now, immediately I thought of Allen Iverson. Practice? Who needs practice? Hey, we're pretty good at it without practice, aren't we? But here's what it says. He that abides in Christ continues not in the practice of sin. Such a person cannot know the love of God in Jesus if sin does what it wants. How many of us have children? How many of us let them do what they want all the time? That's not true. You know, no, because it's not what's good for us. It's not what's good for them. So, still digging, I went to uh, the small called articles. Okay, yeah, I went all the way back there. Thank you. Okay, Article 3, Section 3, actually paragraph or line 44, if you really want to look it up, and it's prob- I know it's in, on the app. Okay, the Holy Spirit does not allow sin to rule and gain the upper hand. Goes on to say, but the Spirit controls and resists so that sin is not able to do whatever it wants. A classic case of our Lutheran phrase, now, not yet. As Luther said, to bring this all to a close on verse 6, simul justus et peccator, simultaneously saint and sinner. So there is a genuine tension. It's almost like a movie, right? It's exciting. But within the text of 1 John, and honestly, let's be, be real, within the text of the church, right? Regarding the reality of sin, on the one hand, and the life we should be leaving, leading as God's children, on the other Welcome to the gathering of sinful people who know they need a Savior. Right? These things happen. What is clear is that since the Gospel of John defines sin primarily as unbelief, perhaps they appealed to their belief in Jesus as proof that sin was no longer even a possibility for them. So boiling it down, our actions really do matter. After all, being a child of God means that we are a reflection of Him. Right? How many times have parents said, you know, this is one thing that Krista and I say to our boys, remember who you are and whose you are. Always true. See, being a child of God, we are a reflection of Him. He has chosen us, us, to be His. God the Father sent His Son to die on the cross and rise again for you and for me. Pretty amazing. So, kind of finishing things up, verses 3 and through 7 are meant to be encouragement. It's not supposed to deter us from everything and be confusing. If we remain in Jesus, and Jesus has no sin then we must not sin either, right? If, one, if A equals 1, then 1 equals A. Okay, we're going through an algebra phrase at my house. Uh, you know, First John can't imagine being a child of God, trusting and hoping in Jesus and not reflecting the character of Him. 
all discipleship, no matter how big, no matter how small, rests on the declaration of what we already are. Loved by God. Children now. Some of us are bigger kids than others. Promised that we will be like Jesus when he appears. We're not simply told to be better. That would be, you know, all law-based. To try harder. Get rid of our sin. That's not what it is. See, that's what Jesus came to do. Said that so in verse 5. Perhaps the tension of, of this whole thing is that sin finds its resolution only in the conviction that by God's grace we are saved. And by God's grace we will make like Jesus at the end. Wow. You know, this Easter season, which we just celebrated, we have a new identity. You know, because of Jesus, because of his resurrection, and yet we still hope and look for that day in the future when the risen Jesus will return. And you know what the cool thing is? He will transform us. Do we know what it is yet? Nah, not, not sure. We have an inkling. Now, not yet. That he can take anything because that's how great his power is. His power is so great that it would take a couple of guys from New York and share. I know, we're Yankees, right? Are you, please tell me you're a Yankee fan. Thank God. Oh, all these Astros down here. Sorry. Sorry, Tommy. Um, yeah. Uh, hey, don't forget the Cubs. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Do we really want to go down that horrible road? No. Uh, you know, I mean, I know, uh, you know what? I'll embrace the Cubs long before I'll embrace the Red Sox. Let me tell you that. Can I get an amen? No. But in all seriousness, our God is so great. He takes each and every one of us, and like I said, even Alan and I, right, and shares his incredible gospel through us. It doesn't have to be standing in front of a pulpit. It can be in anything simple that we do. Because when Alan and Benita walk out of here, even though some people always call him Pastor Alan, some people call him Pastor Bauer, some people will go, hey, dude, right, they will always as will you be called children of God. He is risen. Yes. 